and we do have a good God. Hey guys, um, we have obviously, we're doing live stream because of what we're experiencing. All of you uh, being at home, all of you trying to figure out how your work is going to work, how your life is going to continue in this process, and we're figuring it out as we go. And that's really even what's happening now as we even are in this time and in this message of just what are we doing um, in this whole time. So, hey, I'm just excited that you're here. Um, If you've been watching, we've been giving you updates throughout the week. Uh, We've been giving you, honestly, just some of the things that have been happening. Uh, uh, We have Ray Wimsett who started his class that is meeting at 930, and that's being done through Zoom. We have our Thursday night study. By the way, 58 people, a part of that. That was awesome to have those people be a part of that. And also, I'm so excited that we get to have um, people a part of the, uh, um, the online uh, Bible study that is happening through version. And so, hey, I just want you to know that we are um, going to be going through this. I'm going to have Tim switch over to my, sc- to my screen, and then that way we'll be able to put up the verses of what's going on. You'll be able to see those as they kind of uh, pop up as we go through. By the way, again, if you have version, you have uh, the stream that is with you. You get to have those verses. You just go and look for those. They're already listed for you, and they're ready to go. Hey, um, I want you to know that, um, again, we're using tools, we're using apps, we're using all of these things, and I'm hoping it's going to make us a better church. I'm hoping it's going to make us something that's going to be more significant as we go through this. So let me just say this to you as we go through. We um, get today to actually um, finish our sustenance series. And the message that I get to share with you today is the message that I have really wanted to preach from the beginning of this series. It was really uh, the passages that had spoke to my heart, and and really I just knew that I'm like, no, this is what I want us to end with. Um, I wasn't thinking that we were going to be doing it by video. I wasn't thinking that we were going to be doing it this way, but here we go. So we've been in this place of sustenance of do we trust God to sustain us? Do we trust him to be in those moments, to, to, to take care of us, whether, again, that's financial, whether that's through a crisis, whether that's through a pandemic? Do we trust him? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so what I wanted to do as I was putting this together is I was trying to say, okay, God, what do you really want me to say? And again, I love that I get to finally do this message um, that I've been waiting to do. The story that we're going to be looking at comes in, uh, all th- um, comes in three of the Gospels. It comes in Matthew 10, 1 through 27. It comes through Luke 9, 1 through 10. And it comes through Mark 6, 7, 17 through 13. Now what's interesting is, is that um, Luke and Mark give basically kind of a general uh, uh, description of what takes place here. And then what we have in Matthew is a far more detailed why? Well, let me explain. Luke and Mark were not disciples. They would have not been in the meeting that Jesus has that we're going to talk about. But Matthew was. So Matthew gives a much more detailed account because he was in the meeting where Jesus teaches them what we're going to be looking at today. And so I think it's interesting that in that process is that you have Matthew giving us more detail. Now, even though Matthew gives us more detail, we're going to use Mark as our framework. You got to trust me on this. I think we're going to be good. So here we are. We're going to start in Mark chapter 6, 
uh, verse 7, and it says this. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. I'm going to stop right there. It's interesting. He's going to send them out two by tw- two, by, which means he's going to send out six teams. Twelve divided by two. I'm doing my math now. We all know that's scary. Uh, really gets to become six teams. Now, here's a couple of things that you need to understand. It is not that Jesus just got his disciples together and then sent them out. They have been journeying with him. They've been watching him do ministry. They've been watching him teach. They've been watching him heal. They've been watching this process. And so it has been really interesting. If you look through scripture, you will see it is the epitome of Jesus going, hey, come watch me do ministry. Then we're going to do it together, and then I'm going to release you to go do ministry. That is what is happening with Jesus in this process. And so in that, what happened is he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And again, not alone. I think one of the things that we could do very, very much in a manner in which it's not meant to be is to do this thing alone. We're not called to do it alone. We're not called to do this thing called ministry or life or walking with God alone. There is this need. And so he breaks them up. We don't know the order. We don't know who got to go with who. We just know that he sent them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirit. So as he sent them, he goes, look, you have power. You're going to be able to speak into this. And so I wanted you to see that. Verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. This is why I wanted to talk about this in this sustenance series. He takes these 12 and he sends them out with basically nothing. You don't get to take a bag. You don't get to take extra money. You don't get to take anything. You get to take a staff. That's about it. And this is what you're going to do. Now, I want you to know that as he explained that to them, those apostles, that would have become their worry. What, no money? Nothing extra? I don't get to take anything with me? What, what is this all about? This is on-the-job training. This is him saying, hey, I want you to do this, but you need to know this. I have you. You can trust me. I got this. And I sustain you. So when he sends them out, he sends them out with nothing. Look what goes on. He says this, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. They don't even get to take an extra. It's like, nope, the tunic you have, your sandals, staff, go. Now, for those of us that like to pack, you go on vacation and you have six bags that are rolling behind you, this sounds crazy. What? You get to take just your tunic and a staff But there is something so significant that he's trying to teach them through this. If they're going to do this ministry, and if we as followers of Christ are going to trust him to sustain us, do we trust him that if he sent us out with just the bare minimum that he already has in place? what is needed. Verse 10, and he said to them, wherever you, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Meaning that don't, don't bounce around from house to house. If you come into a village, you go into a house, that is where you stay. And if, if, um, and if in any place will not receive you and will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So if you come into a village and you're trying to say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is near and we're coming with the authority of Christ, and they don't receive you. They just shake off the dust and walk, right? Shake it off, shake it off. 
for all you people who care about that. Now, in that, what we have is that they are saying, look, this is your journey. Your, your job is to go proclaim that this kingdom is coming. And so they're kind of the heralds that are going out, but he also gave them authority. And by the way, they're able to heal and they're able to teach. But I want you to remember Probably as each group went off in their different directions, maybe they all, one went north and one went south and one went east and one went west and and they kind of figured out their routes. The two of them probably spent the beginning part of that journey talking about the fact that they had nothing. Like that was probably their focus. Like he really sent us out of here with nothing. I mean, we got a, a staff and we got our sandals and a tunic. This is all we have. That probably was the focus as they began, because that was what was right in front of them. That was going to be the thing that they were going to be thinking about. And then they got there, and they got to the first village, and they began to do what God had called them to do through Jesus Christ. Here we go. I'm going to have us now switch to Matthew 10. Now, this is why this becomes interesting. So, again, Mark and Luke just give us a cursory, hey, he warned them, told them. But Matthew 10, Matthew remembers what was said. And Jesus said a little bit more, by the way, than just, hey, don't take anything with you. Look what Matthew, by the way, one of those who were sent out with a buddy, look what was told to him. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For you are to say, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. So listen, he's even trying to say, I'm going to sustain you in what you speak. They're going to drag you. You're going, to, you're going to go into a village. They're not going to like it. They're going to grab you, drag you. You'll be before a king. You'll be before governors. Don't even worry. I'm going to put the words in your mouth that very hour. Verse 20. For it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now again, he's doing something really significant here. He's doing something that tells them, tells them that he is going to sustain them. So... What we're going to do is we're now going to go back to Mark chapter 6. Verse 12 says this. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So they went two by two into the villages and they proclaimed the things that God had told them to proclaim. Verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So. Again, we find out in Matthew that they were warned that it was going to be more severe than just going without a tunic. The fact is is that they were going to be, again, sheep among wolves. But they go and do what they were called to do. Now, I want to share something with you. I want you to watch this. They go off on this journey. I'm going to get into kind of what Jesus does. But they go off on this journey. They have this experience. Jesus, for what we understand, stays. They go. He's modeled for them. 
I believe he probably equipped them. He's given the message. He definitely gave them the authority. He has stripped them down to basically the bare necessities and then even told them it's going to be scary. Now, I want you to watch this. This falls under the category of what's not said is sometimes just as powerful as what is said. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. Now, I want you to notice something. Their first concern was about having nothing and going with just the bare minimum. Notice they didn't come back, and that's not what they talk about. That's not the concern. They come back and say, this is what we were able to do in your name. They're telling the stories of the people that were healed. They're telling the stories of going into villages and having the authority they've given and be used. You would think that they would spend all their time coming back going, hey, you actually took care of this and you took care of that and you fed us here and you took care of this. But here's what's funny. That becomes a subplot. The big plot, the big plot is over the fact that they were actually doing the ministry that God called them to do. And the thing that they were most worried about at the beginning really doesn't even come up. It doesn't even hit the big news. And I want to say this to us. I think that what happens is we miss that we have the ability to do something powerfully, but we get caught up in the details of those things. Look at verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, meaning, hey, let's go to someplace private and rest a while. Because they've been out doing this ministry. Watch this. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So they're like coming back, and they're pumped, and they want to tell Jesus all that has just happened. Every group, they've been talking about this. Hey, do you, do you see what happened in that village? Do you see what happened in that village? And he goes, yeah, I get it. We're going to come over here. You guys need to rest a little bit. You've really been putting yourselves out there, and you need to eat. He's taking care of them in this moment. So why does that matter to me? It matters to me because I want to share something that God has let me learn over the years. For over 25 years, for 25 years, I have led groups to Mexico to build homes. Sometimes multiple trips within a year. Let me tell you what happens every year. It'll happen this year if we're able to pull off a trip. I'll have meeting after meeting talking about logistics. We're going to talk about tents and food, and we're going to talk about how we're going to get down there, and we're going to talk about uh, getting across the border. We're going to talk about paperwork, and we're going to talk about um, safety, and we're going to talk about um, what you can wear, and we're going to talk about making sure that everyone knows that we have somebody who's going to take care if they have a, a, an emergency. I'm going, to, I'm going to literally have three or four meetings, and the majority of my meetings are all about logistics. It happens every single year. But this is what I know. When they come home, that is not what they talk about. The people that go on those trips don't talk about, oh, we, we did this and this was the medical stuff. And I mean, they may talk about the tents a little bit. They may talk about the food. But what they mainly talk about is the family. And they talk about how God used them. And they talk about how God used that group to come together. And they talk about how God did something powerful in them. And the logistics that were all the worry before we left become an afterthought once we get back. They just do. 
I have never seen many people come back and just really want to talk logistics. It's like, oh yeah, that stuff just happened. Yeah, we had meals and, and we got there and a bus took us to our spot. They may talk about the fact that maybe a vehicle broke down or something happened. But the majority of the time when I hear people come back, they don't come back and talk logistics. Even though we spend so much time doing that before we go. So why do I bring that up to you? Because I think that's where we're at when it comes to our believing in the sustenance. We're worrying about the logistics when, when really we have a God that goes, I got all that covered. I, I can sustain you. I, I can take care of you. I can do these things. What he wants to get us to is the actual moment of being in the village, being on the trip, having the experience, walking with people, because that's where things are happening, not in the logistics of it all. Yes, you got to get on a plane or get on a bus or get in a car, and all of that's got to happen. But once that's over, it's the, it's, again, it's the subplot. It's not even the thing that's the most significant. And I think that many of us are caught not getting to experience what God has for us because we're stuck in this place of logistics because we can't believe that he's going to do all of these things. We can't believe he's going to come through. And so what happens is, is we miss it. And I believe that's why Jesus stripped down the disciples and said, I want you to go and I want you to know I got all the rest of this taken care of. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make sure you're clothed. I'm going to make sure you're housed. You're going to be great because he knew that they would come back and talk about the experience of ministry, not the logistics. Do we believe that we have a God that sustains us, sustains us in the process, sustains us in those moments or are we stuck in logistics? And I think it's an important question. So, I want us to go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. I want us to start in verse 26. Now, by the way, if you have version, I put all the scriptures there. You can read through this on your leisure. But I'm just going to jump through for time to specific verses. Look what he says. He has told them, by the way, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But watch this. So have no fear of them. He is telling these groups, so Matthew had his partner, whoever that was. Maybe it was Andrew or maybe it was Simon. But, but the reality is he has his partner. He says, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. So these times around the fire when he talked to them about the, the kingdom, tell it to everybody. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. See, right now in this coronavirus, we're worried about that which can kill the body. And he's saying, guys, no, no, no. The soul is where it's at. The soul is what you got to worry about. And the soul is where you find life. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him Sorry about it. For hear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, the thing is, is his concern is much more about eternity than what happens in these momentary times that we have here on earth. And he says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Folks, God is fully aware of what's happening. He knows that you're on uh, that you're being sequestered in your house. He knows that these things are happening. He sees what's happening with the shortages and, and he gets all of that. Listen, if two sparrows 
fall to the ground, he's aware. And he goes on to say this, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Folks, he cares about every detail about you. He is watching you. None of this is missing. But notice it started with do not fear. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. And so I'm coming to you again with a message that says, do not be afraid. We have a God that wants to sustain us. We have a God that wants us to experience. We want God that wants you to be in the lives of people, to call them, to encourage them. I realize we got to keep social distance, but we cannot keep a distance of saying that you matter. So everyone who acknowledged me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So I, I want you to understand that I want to encourage you that this journey of going to who God is says that we should be walking in faith that he'll sustain us. So let me explain this to you this way. I'm going to tell you my story. It was my senior year in high school, and I was given an opportunity that was amazing. Three other, uh, two other high school students and my youth pastor were given a chance to go to Haiti. And we were going to be an extended trip. It was a nearly 20-day trip. Our job was to go and visit all the different styles of missionaries on Haiti and write up reports. So, for example, if you were one that wanted to do street ministry, we went and saw that. If you wanted to do building ministry, we went and saw that. If you wanted to do orphanage ministry, we went and saw that. And so our job was is to go see all these ministries, do write-ups, and they wanted it from a high schooler's perspective. So that's why there were three of us on this trip. The problem was, is right before the trip was supposed to be done, a coup had taken, and the leader, whose name was Papa Doc and Baby Doc, and you can go back and look at your history lessons, they had been deposed, and there were literally, the whole country was in upheaval. I will tell you, probably in today's time and age, we wouldn't have gone the trip, but my parents said, we trust Jesus, and they put us on a plane, and we took off. We landed in Haiti, um, uh, and um, when we got the plane, there were guns pointed at us. The reason why is that the government, uh, the, the army had kind of trying to take control of a situation that, by the way, no one had control over. And so we knew that it was a very volatile situation. So there was a, we met other teams. And there ended up being a number of us. We ended up getting five vehicles. By the way, these little Dahatsus and uh, just tiny little box of cars kind of a deal. And we're supposed to have five of them. Um, but they, uh, they were going to be all manual, and there's a reason for that, and I'll get to that in a minute. But we had one that was an automatic, and that was the only one they had, and, we, and I didn't know why it was a big deal at the time, but we said, okay, we'll take it. And so um, we start driving. We found out really quickly why the issue of having an automatic car. Um, folks, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. We had to uh, take these cars across rivers that were chest deep. So basically, just the way you do like a bucket, you know, bucket brigade kind of a deal, we did that with cars. The guy would stay in the car, he would keep the engine moving, and we would literally kind of hand the car off as we would go across this river, and we did that with all of the cars. And again, there would be water that would get in, but, but, but again, our job was they could not drive through. You had to lift them up and carry them and hand them off to the next person, and then you waited, and the next car came, and the whole time the river's kind of trying to push you down. So with the manual transmissions, that wasn't a problem. But doing this, we did this probably about four or five times. Water got into the automatic transmission box of this one of the cars. 
Now, before that happened, though, one of the cars got in an accident. It got rear-ended and, um, and literally just caved in the back of the car. So we have five cars, and there were four people in each car. Now we are out of car. So now we are doing five people in these little tiny cars, and everyone's holding their luggage to be able to get through. We got the farthest. So when we're driving through this country, we got the farthest that we could get um, from being back home. So if you're taking like a trip out and back, we are the farthest out. And I remember I was not in this car. I remember that the car that was the automatic just pulls over and stops. And um, uh, we all get out and trying to figure out what's going on. He goes, I've had it in gear. I put it in gear, hit the gas. It's just spinning. There's nothing there. My dad was a diesel mechanic, and so I learned a couple things. So we opened it up, and I remember taking the dipstick, and I remember pulling the transmission, and just milky water just poured off the dipstick. It had been filled with water from us trying to, to put that in, and so what had happened was is that we had just destroyed this transmission. Remember, we've already lost one car. We cannot lose another car. And I remember at this moment going, God, you have me the farthest away from my airport. You have us the farthest into this. God, what are you going to do? And I will never, ever, as long as I live, forget this moment. The guy who's the leader of the trip goes, here's the deal. We're going to lay our hands on this car. And if you don't believe that God can heal this car, don't put your hands on this car. I am 18 years old, and I am a believer in Jesus, and I believe he can heal cars. So I put my hand on the car, and we prayed. We got back into the car. He stuck it into gear, and it went. Five more days, it went. And this is what I know. When we brought the car back to the rental place, the car could not make it up the driveway to get back into it. It stopped right in the driveway. We all got out, shoved it into its spot, handed them their keys, got on the shuttle to go to the airport. Let me tell you this. Can I tell you the emotion I have right now with telling that story? Our God has provision. And our God will sustain And our God will take care of all of these things. But here's the deal. If I were to worry about the logistics, I don't remember the logistics. I remember the lives that got changed. I don't remember all the different elements. I remember the people we got to be with. I remember the experiences that God gave me. And I remember that God goes, I'm going to take you to the farthest place and show you that I got you. I want you to have those stories. I want you to have that experience. Because we have a God that goes, will you just go? And at that moment, we didn't have anything. I had no tools. I had no nothing. Either he healed the car or we had a group of people that had no way home. I want you in those places. And I think that we get bogged down in being fearful that those things might happen. And here's the thing, and we miss the miracle when they do. We miss the miracle when we get to experience that. 1 Peter 3, 12 through 15 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. A prayer of people laying a hand on a daihatsu in the middle of Haiti. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
Now, who is there to harm you? If we are doing good, really, honestly, majority of the time, no harm comes to us. But watch what happens. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, watch this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So even in the situation we're in, he goes, I can bless you even if there's a time of suffering, even if you meet someone and from this, maybe you get COVID-19. There can be a blessing that comes out of it. You could be someone who blesses a nurse or a doctor. You could be someone who has a story that encourages people. Watch this. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. I want us to be people that know that God sustains us. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, again, Jesus sends out the 12. They come back. They're ecstatic. Again, they weren't telling a word about the fact that they only had a staff and one tunic and a pair of sandals. Because they saw God show up. They saw food come before them. They saw shelter. They saw those things. And I just want you to experience them as well. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Because this is what he's saying. I already have all your provisions. I've already got you taken care of. I know what you need, and and when you go here, I have someone there to take care of you. I have someone there to feed you. I have someone there to help. But you got to take up your cross and follow. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You will find it in trusting him to provide. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Whoever receives you, I'll tell you one more story in a minute about that. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, now he's talking about the disciples as his little ones, a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So let me tell you this part of the the trip to Haiti. The farthest that we got in was to go into what was their jungle. I remember we left the cars and we hiked for what, as I remember now, hours. I, I can't remember, but I know we got to this place and it was this little village and I was being told that they hadn't seen uh, white kids like me before and so that was fun. And, um, and, and then um, something blew my mind. This village handed us this basket of fruit. Now, by the way, I'm 18 years old. I'm not, I'm into hamburgers and burritos. Fruit's not the favorite thing, right? And so my face was like, oh, thanks for the fruit. And then the leader looks at me and says, Jeff, this is their food for the entire week. And they're giving it to you. He goes, do not take the blessing away from them. And he read this passage. And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will be by no means lose his reward. He goes, look, 
I don't know what's going to happen when we leave. I just know this. They've given to you out of their heart, and when we leave, God's going to bless them. And if you don't receive it, they don't get the blessing. They are excited to be able to give because you've come to love them. You've come to, to serve them. And you need to receive this. I remember I took a couple of mangoes and, and I put them in my bag and, and other people took a couple of other things. But listen to me. In my heart as I stand here today, I believe that after we left, somehow God blessed that village because he had provision that I can't even see. That I can't even see. Folks, God will put people in our lives, even people that we can't even, who can bless us with provision if we'll just go on the journey and know that he has planned that. Now, in Matthew, once he sends them away, this is what we find out what Jesus does. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So Jesus kind of stays in the cities where he's around, teaches and preaches, and sends them off. Matthew doesn't talk about their return, only Luke and Mark talk about the return when they come back and they're so ecstatic. But Matthew tells us of the depth of what it looks like that we would be someone who would go and trust him for provision. Now, here's what's interesting. So Jesus sends out the 12. Remember, this has always been a ramp up. It was really, it was Jesus and he showed the 12 what to do and then he blesses the 12 and then he sends out the 12. And by the way, there was a group that was watching the 12. And then when we get to Luke chapter 10, verse one, we read this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him two by two into every town place where he himself was about to go. So this begins to grow. So the 72 watch the 12 come back and the 12 come back so excited. So, and they're like, I'm in. And when Jesus says the exact same thing to them, look what he says. And he said to them, the harvest is as plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Says the same things to the 72 that he said to the 12. Watch this. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. They're back to logistics. And those 72 are in the same place the 12 were. But the 12 have a story that says, trust him. He will provide for you. He has sustenance for you. You are going to be taken care of. You are going to be blessed. And the 72 do the exact same thing. They go out. They go into villages. Look what happens in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Not our power, your name. And those 72 came back and I'm telling you, they didn't come back and talk about not having money and not having, a be- having the tunic or not having the sandals. They came back and told the story of how God used them and how he used them to bless so many people. And I want that for you. I don't want you to get caught in the logistics. I don't want you to get caught in like, well, how is God going to do this? Or how is God going to take care of this? I'm sitting right now, Esteban is here. I watched what happened with Chantal when she was worried about the logistics of her trip when she went to Thailand and Cambodia. And by the way, not only did God take care of the logistics, but more so, and even more people got to go. And I'm telling you right now, when she came back, she tells stories of being with kids who were in orphanages. She doesn't talk about the logistics. 
She talks about how God used her and how God changed her heart and how she had adopted two um, of these kids because God opened her heart. Please understand, she doesn't come back and go, yeah, I was so worried about, yes, there was a time, but God took care of all that and took care of all the provision. What did she do? She trusted that God would be there and do what needed to be done. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. That's what he says. Go, you're going to be fine. I've taken care of it. You can tread on serpents. You can tread on scorpions. I'm going before you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. By the way, I'm jumping down to verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that you have this power. Do not rejoice that I've given you this. Look, look, he says that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in that. Look what he says. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because when we experience these things, we get to see that God will use us for his glory. Remember, they came back in joy and said, in your name these things happen. Folks, I have no power of my own. I had no power to fix that car in Haiti, but in his name. And I prayed in his name, amen, heal this car. And I'm telling you, I watched a car be healed. I want you to know that I walk out of here not going, hey, Look at all the things that God has allowed me to do. I get to walk in and go, my name is written in his book. And he has me. He has me. Luke 21, 10, 21. In that same hour, this is Jesus. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. What's meaning is he's looking at 72 people who have just come back and he goes, you didn't give this to the learned understanding. You gave it to those who were willing to go on the journey without a money bag and out without an extra tunic. And because of that, you opened their mouths to tell your story and you sustained them and took care of them. And now you have all of these people that know how powerful you are and are giving you the glory. Folks, I want you to be those that God uses as he speaks through your mouth as he speaks through your heart. And he, Jesus, I love that he's rejoicing, though he has a God, that his Father blesses us and lets us, lets us be his hands and feet if we will go on the journey and trust him to sustain We've been in this whole series on sustenance. It's coming to an end to say this. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I want you to stand and know that he sustains you. Some of you, because of what's happening with this um, uh, COVID, uh, you haven't been able to work and you're gonna be worried about your finances. God has you. You're gonna be worried about what's gonna happen with your job. God has you. Do you trust him that he can have you there? And you get to give a testimony of my God has this. My God 
has this. Church, church of those that are sitting in homes, because you, by the way, if two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst, he's with you. Church, we have a God that wants to sustain you. We have a God that wants to do so much for you. Do you trust him? And I pray that you do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And Father, you want us to trust you. And you say, don't take a money bag. Don't take these things. Let me show you my power. Don't try to do it in in your strength. And Father, we do that. We try to say, look, but I have the resources. I can do it. God goes, no, let me show you my resources. Let me show you how I can sustain you. Let me show you how I can bless you. And we miss so many opportunities to see God's power because we say we got it. And I have the bankroll and I I have the stuff and, and God doesn't need to do any of this. God, forgive us. And may we hear from your disciples that said, no, be willing to go with only a staff and some sandals and a tunic and see him provide. See him sustain. That's our message. Would we trust him in this? God, you are so, so very good. And I love you dearly. And I pray this all in the name of your son. Amen.